Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. The U.S. faces a partial government shutdown on December 21st over funding for the wall. The Trump administration's senior advisor Stephen Miller says it's a question of whether or not the United States remains a sovereign country. Miller says Democrats can either choose to fight for America's working class or to promote illegal immigration. You can't do both. Yet all around the country, groups are fighting the Trump administration's immigration and deportation policies. With me is Ruth Needleman. She's Professor Emerita of Indiana University. She's co-coordinator of Northwest Indiana Resists. They're fighting deportations, and they're holding a rally in Portage, Indiana, tomorrow, where people were recently detained, and their next protest is at Gary Airport on January 18th. Thanks for joining us, Ruth Needleman. Thank you so much. Stephen Miller says you can either fight for America's working class or promote illegal immigration. You can't do both. What do you make of the way the Trump administration is framing this thing? Well, first of all, working class in this country includes millions of immigrants because this country was built by immigrant labor and continues to rely on immigrant labor For the food on our table, whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's in the fields collecting and picking it. And also sovereignty doesn't mean closing our borders and locking ourselves in. Sovereignty means that the people are free to move and we would be imprisoned if we had walls around our country. It would do more harm to our economy and to our people in this country than it would to the government's safety. What do you think of the whole uh, government shutdown idea over this particular issue? It seems um, like it's going to happen on Friday. Both sides are dug in. It's rather draconian because a wall is not going to protect us, and the wall is not going to cost $5 billion. It's going to cost $30 billion and upwards, and if anything... We should shut down ICE, the Immigration Customs and Enforcement Services, because they are doing more harm to our communities. Um, And if they shut the government down right before the holidays and in the dead of winter, the people who are most vulnerable and depend on government services are the only ones who will be hurt. Explain what ICE is doing in Portage, Indiana. You're having a rally tomorrow at the Mexican Lindo restaurant where people were recently detained. Yes. ICE carried out three raids in northwest Indiana this past Thursday. Two of them were at two locations of the restaurant Mexico Lindo, one in Portage and one in Knox. This restaurant, which is a tremendous asset to the Portage community, it contributes property tax, it contributes to the Chamber of Commerce, it contributes directly to the FOP, and yet this little restaurant was singled out, and the five people who were detained were placed in detention at the Kankakee Prison. And that is the prison where they hold immigrants awaiting deportation every Friday morning from the Gary Airport. And so it creates fear and it takes away an important resource from the community. And people are afraid. I mean, children are afraid to go to school because they don't know if their parents will be there when they get home. Parents are afraid to go to the doctors, afraid to go out of the house 
because these Gestapo-like sweeps are breaking up the peace and humanistic values of our community. Uh, how much do you know about the people who were detained at the restaurant, um, were they? Uh, imagine... I know one of them was the owner. There are two owners. One of them was one of the owners. And the other people were also family members. You know, kitchen help, waiting help, because we actually planned to do a solidarity supper and have everybody show up to eat at the restaurant. And the owner told me, the second owner told me that they took kitchen staff. We can't possibly handle that amount of service. But she was very supportive of the idea of us having a solidarity rally outside the restaurant to call attention to the terror that is being planted in our community by these ICE raids. And that's tomorrow night at 5.30 at the Mexican Lindo. It's going to be at 5.30 at the Portage Restaurant, which is at 5908 Highway 6, right at Highway 6 and Willow Creek. And what we want to do is show support for the family and support for all the immigrant families in our region, because we are very much an immigrant community in this region which is why the organization I work with, Northwest Indiana Resist, has held so many protests at the Gary Airport because every Friday morning they are deporting people from the airport to the Mexican border and just pushing them over. And it has just created so many problems for families and people around here. How common are these kind of ice raids and uh, the kind of events that are tearing people apart? How much do you see that? We don't see it that often. That's why three in one day seems to be a message that we are not safe. And it's an overpowering message that comes at the holidays and will discourage people from going out of their house visiting restaurants, visiting families. This is going to undermine the economy of Northwest Indiana. Where are most of the people coming from who end up being deported at Gary Airport? Most of the people who get deported at the Gary Airport are either Mexican or Central American. We also have Haitian immigrants and African immigrants, Syrian immigrants. It's a very diverse immigrant population. But the airport used to only go to Brownsville, Texas. Unfortunately, just recently, they opened up a customs building at the airport, which is staffed on call only by Chicago workers. So, of course, one of our problems with all these deportations, besides the inhumanity of them, is that all the jobs are going to people in Illinois, and all the heartache is being left in Indiana. Very interesting. We're talking with Ruth Needleman. She's a professor emerita of Indiana University. She's co-coordinator of Northwest Indiana Resist, and they're fighting deportations. And I wanted to ask you about something you're doing. You're putting up a billboard on the highway. Uh, tell us about that effort. Yes. One thing we realized, we did about eight protests at the airport. And at the beginning, they were bringing in SWAT teams, sheriff deputies, police from all over. And Gary has a welcoming city ordinance. So we protested at the Common Council. 
And so now what they do, when we go to the airport to protest, they divert the buses to O'Hare. While that does hurt the private company that sponsors these deportations, the Jet Center, it's not good enough. So what we decided to do, because if we interfere with the deportations, that's a felony. And the airport is buried in an untraveled little section of Gary, and so no one sees us when we're out there. January 7th, a huge billboard is going up on I-94, black, red, and yellow, that says, Stop Gary Airport Deportations. Families belong together. And we did this by collecting money at our protests. We solicited through a GoFundMe online. And we got support from people all over the country and especially support from some unions in Chicago. So you're thinking that people who are detained might see that billboard before they're shipped out in Gary? What we're hoping, one, is that everyone traveling back and forth will see that because most people do not know that the deportations for Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, and Kentucky leave from the Gary Airport. And we want everyone to know what's going on. Secondly, the buses pass right by them. And even though they are huddled in these white buses and the windows are covered in white, They can't cover the driver's window. And so as the buses pass, we do think people will see and know that people in northwest Indiana support them. There's a lot of concern about how people are detained in their condition that they're being detained in. Uh, There was a young Guatemalan girl who died in U.S. custody on the border and seven-year-old. And there's a tension. There's a congressional delegation that's going to go down and look into what's going on with the tension. And, you know, there's her father apparently has said has no complaints about her treatment and has signed a document uh, that they had him sign uh, that saying he which was, was in English, which was in English. Do you get the feeling like people are being treated well by these companies? And it's and a lot of private companies are involved. These are all private companies that make money off of people's suffering. I mean, GEO, which is a private prison company, tried multiple times to build a prison in northwest Indiana. We defeated them eight times because people die in their custody. The workers who work for them are underpaid and overworked, and the turnover is extremely high. But what is happening right now in Texas, in these horrible camps, set up in the desert tents where they have 4,000 children in custody is inhumane and cruel. It is a violation of the UN's Declaration of Human Rights. And I think that this calls for the immediate shutdown of ICE and a rejection of all of these Trump policies that are bringing cruelty and countering all the values that this country has stood for. When it comes to this government shutdown, it seems like there's going to be some back and forth, maybe some compromise. The Democrats are going to offer some amount of money for border security. Um, What do you recommend they do? Well, I have to say that I am tired of compromise on human lives. I don't think it's appropriate to feed this incredible... um, The idea of a wall is absurd. Everybody says... 
walls won't help. We've had walls on our border. They have done nothing. People who are living in serious poverty, in crime-ridden communities where their lives are threatened, they will leave just like African Americans left the South in the Great Migration, whether or not there were jobs in the North, when people's lives are endangered, they will leave, not because they want to. And so for the Democrats to appease, and I use that word with understanding of how appeasement historically has only led to an increase in violence and war. And we should not be appeasing Trump. He is pushing for illegal, inhumane policies, and the Democrats uh, should stand on the side of the people. Ruth Needleman is a professor emerita at Indiana University. She is co-coordinator of Northwest Indiana Resists, and they're fighting uh, deportations. Their rally is Tuesday night at the Mexico Lindo Restaurant in Portage, Indiana, and then uh, more protests at the Gary Airport in January. On January 18th, I think, is the next one. If not sooner. If not sooner. If not sooner. We try to respond when there is such an urgent problem. But our billboard goes up January 7th. We will be meeting on January 12th at Purdue Northwest to plan a month of protest. Who comes out for the meetings? Who's part of Northwest Indiana? We have the Progressive Democrats of America, We have uh, Black Lives Matter. We have many members of the faith community. We have a number of community and democratic organizations. We have lawyers. We have community organizers. It's a very diverse group of people and often includes many immigrants. This Thursday, we will have a DACA student speaking, and we have had Syrians Immigrants speak at most of our demonstrations. So we are broad and all-encompassing. We get a lot of support from Temple Israel and Gary. Their social justice committee, social action committee, has attended all of our meetings and demonstrations. Ruth Needleman from Northwest Indiana Resist. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you so much. People in Italy have a taste for bitters. Coming up after the break, we're going to get to know about Italy's tradition with bitters. And a lot of people here make their own bitters. Italians uh, do their own recipes, have their own regional recipes. If you want to share your recipe of bitters with us, give us a call, 312-923-9239. 312-923-9239. I'm Jerome McDonnell. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Emily Wines is here. She's a master sommelier and vice president at Cooper's Hawk Winery and Restaurant. We explore how culture is expressed in wine and spirits in our regular segment, The Wines Report. It is good to see you, Emily. Hey, it's great to be back. 
Uh, we are going to go to Italy this time and find out about bitters and the culture of bitters. It is deeply entrenched in Italy. People make their own bitters. We are appealing to anyone who has made their own bitters or wants to tell us a story about it to call us at 312-923-9239. And I know nothing about bitters, really. I can't remember having drank a bitter. What What is going on with bitters? <laughs> well, you know, you probably have had bitters uh, in, in the shape of something like tonic. Now, tonic water is made with quinine, which is a, a bitter. Um, and typically, these bitters are there. They started out as being medicinal, taking things that are um, uh, good for stomach soothing or muscle relaxing or help you sleep and taking these herbs adding them to alcohol, which acts as a solvent. And then, then you want to make it taste good. So you've got to add things like citrus peel and um, aromatic herbs and sugar. And, and over time, you had these different villages throughout Italy that had their own amaros. They were coming out of monasteries or out of pharmacies. And eventually, some of these started to become commercially produced. And they, they're very cool. I imagine a lot of them, and the ones you have right here on the table, have all different labels and emphasis on ingredients that, that seem to reflect where these people are. If you're in the mountains, you use stuff that's in the mountains. If yeah. You're not, if you're a farmer, you use farming stuff. Exactly. I mean, in some cases, these are herbs that are coming from all over the world. Um, you know, I think one of the primary herbs that you see a lot of is gentian, which is an herb that's used as a stomach soother. And... Um, so you do find that kind of bitter component behind all of them. But you're right. There are, there are very local ingredients as well. In fact, while I tell you the story, you might as well taste one because it always adds, adds to the storytelling. And people drink them after dinner usually. This is Typically not after dinner that you drink before dinner. So because you're trying to settle your stomach. That's exactly it. And you know, they're called digestivos because they help you digest. So, you know, after dinner you've eaten a lot of food, you have an amaro and then all, all that of tomato a sudden, stuff all Yeah, exactly. All the that. meat and the steak and um, So this is this is brown and it has a lot of smell. It does. I'm gonna it pour does one smell like myself. kind of medicine y, doesn't it? <laughs> it is. It's like medicinal but uh, but also really complex. Wow. Yes. Very different, isn't it? So this one comes from the Valtellina region. I don't know is, what to compare it to. Like nothing else. So think about actually I I could think of it almost like um Coca-Cola flavor almost, but much more bitter. And obviously yeah. not carbonated, but there's a sweetness to it to it and you can see this nice burn at the end. You can kind of feel it looks like it's warming in your chest. This is made with a whole mix of alpine herbs that have been dried, and uh, they add citrus peel to it. There's about 13 different herbs in this. Yeah, it is very herby, and it's got a lot of hang time. Yeah, it does. It's, you just keep you keep it tasting is, it I'm, and tasting I've it. I've still got it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's interesting though. Italians have a really um, have a real fascination for bitter flavors in general, much more so than we do here in the United States. For example, going back to Coca Cola, you can buy more bitter versions of cola in in uh, Europe than you can in the states, in Italy in particular. They also have things like um, Campari, which is an, more of an aperitif. It's a bitter that you have before dinner. Get your mouth watered. That I have had. Yeah. Now I have so also, there you go. So and, you're familiar. Jägermeister is a bitter? It is. It's actually a bitter from Germany. So the, this idea of taking medicinal herbs or, or flavorful herbs and, and adding them to liqueurs is, is not exclusive to Italy. They're all over the world. Um, but yeah, Jägermeister, that's, that's one that 
don't, you know, whenever I say Jägermeister, everybody kind of shakes their head because they're thinking of Jäger bombs, but it's actually pretty tasty stuff. Now, this one, it, it, it is really powerful. It is. <laughs> You're still tasting it. And, you know, I went and easy it, on you because there are some bitters that are just brutally bitter in their finish. And, uh, you know, those Fernet Bronco is one of my favorites, and that's pretty strong stuff. Uh, these, are, these are all a little this bit sweeter. This one has a great label. It's totally working the alpine look yeah. on the label, and I think they're trying to get all 13 um, – herbs on the cover too at the completely <laughs> but imagine nice like you're show. you're going skiing and you know it's you know it's like cold outside you have a little shot of this and it warms you up and makes your stomach feel really nice uh, so it, do people particularly drink this on holidays is this more of a holiday uh, idea no, they, they drink these all the time. Actually, you know what? This is what I love about Italians is those different things that you drink all throughout the day. You know, you can have your cafe caretto in the afternoon, which is espresso with a little bit of grappa or, or another liqueur added to it. Uh, you have your aperitivo, so certain liqueurs that you have before dinner, things like Campari. And then you have your digestivo. So after dinner, you'd have something like this. And, and again, every region has different variations of these amari or these very bitter style liqueurs. But there are other things that you can have in Italy like limoncello, which is not bitter at all. But that's another really great regional liqueur that, uh, that you can find. I think it's great that people make these themselves. And I, I yes. know that I mean, my um, colleague who has Italian friends and is married to an Italian, she says people are doing this here. Yes. And, uh, it's part of um, you know being Italian and just having your own recipe, and you kind of promote your own your own flavor, I guess in a yeah. way. Yeah, I, and I would love to hear from somebody if they have and, and their own uh, recipe and and do this three one two nine two three nine two three nine. We're trying to pluck somebody out of the audience <laughs> who is someone out there's is, making it is making bitters out there. Well, I'll, I'll tell you about some of the other ingredients that are used in, in Amaro. Um, you know, one of them is china bark, which is the same thing as quinine. Um, and that's used as a – it's actually a muscle relaxant. And that was really commonly used in making tonic uh, you know, for people who are suffering from malaria. Uh, they had the chills and, and so this was a rela- muscle relaxant that kind of soothed them. Uh, but then there's other things that are just added for flavor. So artichoke, for example, really bitter. This next one I'm going to serve to you is chinar, and chinar is uh, uh, it's artichoke is the the primary flavoring agent that's giving it that bitterness, but really different from the last and, one that we and had. And they've got a great big artichoke on the on the label. You can't miss it. And as opposed to the other one that was trying to cram in the twelve twelve uh, herbs and all the Swiss Alps. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm ready for an, this one's even darker. They're, 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 it is like a yes. root beer kind of look to it. For sure. It's this one's a little smoother. It is a little sweeter, not it's, quite as bitter little, as the other one. <laughs> it, you know, it's that gentian is that key ingredient that you see in a lot of bitters that gives you that long, really medicinal finish. We've got somebody who has some bitters experience. Grady is on the line with us. You're on WBEZ, Grady. Hey, my name is Brady. Brady, um, nice to meet you guys. So uh, I, uh, I work at a commercial distillery um, where we work on a pretty complete um, program of macerates. Uh, we do make gin, compound gin as well, which is, a, which is a combination of steam distillation and maceration. But also lately I've been experimenting with bitters uh, myself. And it's been kind of a really interesting slog. Um, and one thing I noticed, you know, in my trials and tribulations at work um, is, you know, the, the bitters that you guys are talking about, Fernet, um, you know, Amaro, Jägermeister, 
they're they are bidders technically, but they're also I think it's important to make clear to consumers they're they're ready to drink liqueurs, right? So they're not exactly a bitter. A bitter is something you would make at home would often not be sweetened and you wouldn't expect to to enjoy it. Um, <laughs> sorry about that guy, sorry. Um, you know, it's it's something you would do at home would be very monodimensional. Um, and something that I've found at home is, you know, you can macerate herbs in a variety of proofs at a variety of temperatures for a variety amount of time for varying results. But really, um, a compound master, in my opinion, needs to be blended for complexity. And I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea that you guys are encouraging people to make this stuff at home because I'm doing it commercially. Uh, <laughs> did, did you get? Have you had a good batch that you want to unleash on people yet, or are you still experimenting? Oh goodness! Oh goodness gracious, sir! Have we ever? As it is the holiday time, uh, one thing that we're doing right now is we're playing with Douglas fir. And awesome. when you look at Douglas, awesome. yeah, and we're combining it with cranberry um, and baking spice, and it's a holiday bitters that we use in one of our sours. Oh, that sounds really cool. Well, Brady, what what is your distillery? Where can people get these um, things? Uh, it's called the Dancing Goat Distillery in Cambridge, Wisconsin. Well, no more power to you. Thanks a lot for joining us. I want to try some of those bitters. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for Yeah. Yeah, you definitely want a pine tree in your That's bitters. Cool. Why, why didn't we think of that? I know. Well, and and he is right. What he's talking about in terms of bitters, these are, those typically come in little tiny bottles, and they're so intense and so strong. A little dash in your cocktail is, is, is good. It's a um, versus, you know, these that, yeah, you want to drink these straight. But the bitters that he's making are pretty powerful stuff, but but, but pretty cool, too. Um, all right, we've got one more to try, uh, the, one more liqueur uh, this, yeah. of this bitter, and this one is... So this uh, next one is uh, uh, Amaro Montenegro, and this one is, it's really great. I'm just starting to see a lot of this around the States now. It used to be that I could only drink this when I was in Italy, uh, but it's one of my favorites. It's a sweeter style. It uh, comes out of Bologna, and it was created in honor of the... I believe it was the Princess of Montenegro, and it, uh, it it's it's certainly more aromatic. There's a lot of vanilla in this, and so you'll see it has a real sweet nose and kind of in the front. Oh yeah, that's that's very sweet. Mm-hmm. It's very <laughs> it is. It's almost very like perfuming. an entirely different beast. Completely, but you can see in the end, man. There's still that bitter kick. Yes, it um, uh, yes it does. It's yeah. got that hang time. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, imagine after dinner, like, you know, you're in Italy, uh, you know, wherever you are, there's some local Amaro. And if you're lucky, you know, somebody will pull out something from under the counter that doesn't have a label on it that, that they've made. Um, do people drink this every uh, – often? It's, it seems like kind of an occasional <laughs> thing. I don't think it's so powerful. They're really intense. I think it depends on your on your taste. You know, I um, it's great. I work with this guy who's Italian who um, – you know, when he was growing up, no matter what happened to you, you have a skin knee, you have a stomach ache, a headache, you got a spoonful of Fernet Branca. You know, like, like, like that was it was like that was the cure all medicine. So there's lots of people still using it medicinally, but mostly people enjoy it after dinner. You know, San Francisco is is the number one consumer of Fernet Branca in the in the states, and there we drink it with a, a little bit of ginger ginger ale as a as a chaser. Um, so there's different ways that people consume. Uh, consume these tomorrows, but typically they're done after dinner. You know, a couple shots will do you. Like the little goes a long way. 
All right. And, the, and are these available in normal liquor stores? I never go to the bitter aisle. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, you got to go to the bitter aisle because that's a, there's so many fascinating things that you find over there. I love really unique liqueurs and, uh, and, and, and spirits like these because they all have interesting labels, interesting stories behind them. I actually got all three of these bottles at Binnie's. And they're in the same area as vermouth, which is another you know, spirit that's made with, uh, with lots of herbs. So um, these, are, these, these three here are commercially available. But the really great thing to do is when you're in Italy, look for the really quirky off the, uh, off the beaten path ones. Emily Wines is a master sommelier and vice president at Cooper's Hawk Winery and Restaurant. We explore how culture is experienced in wine and spirits with her. And this has been a lot of fun and very interesting and eye-opening. It's kind of uh, (laughs) mind-blowing that people are out there putting pine trees and alpine herbs and artichokes into these things and and getting whatever kind of flavor they want out of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for bringing this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Coming up after the break, we'll have music in the Jim and K. Maybe Performance Studio with Fulcrum, Fulcrum Point. I'm Jerome McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Fulcrum Point New Music Project is ready to make your holiday more bright with some peaceful aspiration and jubilant affirmation. Fulcrum Point celebrates on Wednesday with Peace in Chicago, an intergenerational celebration at the Harris Theater. Fulcrum Point founder and artistic director Stephen Burns is here with me in the Jim and Kay Maybe Performance Studio. We are going to get a sample. Nice to see you, Stephen Burns. It's great to be back, Jerome. Thanks for having us. Tell me a little about, for people who've never heard of Fulcrum Point, tell people what you're doing. Well, Fulcrum Point's been around for 20 years. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary of, of creating new art music that's at the, at the Fulcrum Point, at the nexus of classical and jazz, of improvised and composed, as well as acoustic electronic music. And Congratulations on 20 you. years. Yeah, it's amazing. I like the explanation on your website. You are going to create new art music that enriches people's lives and brings about a more empathetic world. That's good. It's well, it's it's a high aspiration, but I think that's what music does anyway. And we're, you know, every generation of music, whether it's in jazz, if you think about it, it started as one thing and then it evolved into, you know, hot jazz and then into swing and then to bebop and postbop and it's, it keeps evolving every 10 years. And the same thing in classical, you know, it may have started as Gregorian chants 500 years ago, but over the years it became baroque and then classical and romantic and then Stravinsky and now there's all kinds of new art music and that's what we're doing on Wednesday night is uh bringing all all these traditions together, along with poetry from the young Chicago authors and the Poetry Foundation. 
organization to really explore uh, what does it mean to have peace in Chicago and uh, can we have peace on earth and goodwill to all? Because, of course, what do you do with experimental new music around the holidays when everybody's getting nostalgic? This, was the, this is the fulcrum point is this idea of like, well, we can create peace and, and harmony. Tell us about the more about the people you're collaborating with. Well, this is a, a cast of thousands, and we call it an intergenerational celebration because in addition to um, my children, who are now 20 years old and are part of a production company called The Burns Twins, they're going to be leading artists from the hip-hop community, uh, Luna Day, Rick Wilson, and Victor, and uh, as well as poets uh, Jalen Kobayashi and Key Stein from the Chicago Young Authors, Young Chicago Authors. And so it's music and poetry, music and poetry, and really looking at the world. And then the second half is the older generation. Um, you know, I'm honored to have commissioned uh, the Juju Exchange with Nico Segal and, and, and um, Julian Reed as the leaders in terms of, of uh, writing a piece for Fulcrum Point based on the poetry of the young Chicago authors. And uh, we also have Josephine Lee and the Chicago Children's Choir singing along. So this oratorio brings together chorus and orchestra and a jazz quartet and really looking at the history of of uh, Chicago as well as the present and going forward. Well, we have the members of the Juju Exchange with us in the studio, and with us is Julian Reed. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Tell me a little about the piece you're going to play for us and that you'll be presenting on Wednesday. Um, it, it sounds really <laughs> ambitious. Yeah, we were honored to be asked by Fulcrum Point, by Stephen, to put on this production with them and to think about what it means to call for peace in a city that so desperately needs it. So we came up with this idea where we have three different segments, three songs that point to three parts of Chicago's history, going back to the 17th and 18th centuries and 19th centuries when Chicago was being founded. And the first song is lamenting what was lost for the indigenous peoples um, for the various tribes, including the Potawatomi, including the Miami tribes. So the first song is called What Lost, where we just mourn what was lost for them. And then after that, I wrote lyrics based on the poem that is helping us think about what does this mean for us? Because the whole purpose of this is to have everybody thinking about what peace will require of you, what peace requires of everybody in the audience. And so the other parts of the movement, of the piece, are also pointing to the movement. So the kids sing an interlude where they're asking about peace, what was sacrificed. And then there's a second song, which is talking about the divisions in the city and how we've dealt with those divisions. Who gets to live here? Whose is this city? Then after that is another interlude. And then the last is the piece that we'll play for you in a moment, Live Here, where we're talking about what does it mean for us to live here? Well, that sounds tremendous. And the Juju Exchange, um, to explain who you are and your website, you say you have one foot in jazz and one foot in everything else. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty awesome description. <laughs> yeah, thanks. We come from a rich lineage of music in this city, of improvisers in the city. And we love to play music of that lineage that points to all the influences we have. People in the bebop era, people in the swing era. We have cats from hip hop in our sound pop sounds and also now even with this classical and so we're thankful for the opportunity to have an exposure to all these different sounds that then comes forth in this exchange well i'm anxious to hear uh we're going to hear what loss right now the lament no i think we're, we're going to play okay. the uh, live here which okay. is the the finale and you're going to have to imagine the chorus is going to come in with a rousing 
entrance at right after we finish. So this is the in, the instrumental introduction. All righty. Uh, Julian Reed and the Juju Exchange, great to meet you, and I look forward to hearing this. Thanks a lot. That's terrific. It's really swinging. I'm really enjoying that. Um, and we're going to be playing that Wednesday night at Peace in Chicago, an intergenerational celebration at the Harris Theater, the Fulcrum Point New Music Project uh, with the Juju Exchange. Um, that's really a terrific uh, uplifting portion. Uh, that, well, what you. makes the piece really powerful also is you. It, it does start from a very dark place where we talk about what, what is lost, what, it, what is the loss of, of culture and of peoples in the 19th and 18th century. But it also, it, then it begins to ask questions about you know, who we are as Chicagoans and what are the streets of division and, and who has the right to live here and, as gentrification happens. And what is really ex- extraordinary about what uh, Julian and Nico and, and Lane and Everett have created is that they also created an opportunity for the Chicago Children's Choir to write their own interludes. And, um, and in this case, they're, they're really asking, what is the price of peace? And it's, it's a, this wonderful, uplifting ending and with a, a soulful kind of epilogue. And the, and the idea there is that... Um, you know, the like a Greek chorus in in a, in a classic piece of theater, they get to make the comment, the commentary from the next generation's point of view. And I think that's always very powerful. I know at the uh, climate change conference, we just had a 15 year old get up and say the most powerful thing at the conference. There's mm. no question. Mm. I think a lot of people saw that on social media, and I would expect the Chicago Children's Choir could come right up and and say the powerful things that need to be said. Yeah, exactly. It's it's an honor to work with them and to give them space to create, but then also to give them music and words to then sing. And in this piece that you just heard, something that's really important to me as I was writing this out is to take a big part of the theme from one of the other songs, the first song, The Lament, and put that here in this more upbeat celebratory bit, which is to say that anything we talk about now regarding living here, regarding having peace in the city, regarding moving forward, and everything else that the song's talking about, that is not disconnected from the lament. 
some people like to think that you do one thing over here and you come over here and you celebrate. What we're saying is that to have peace, to think about the price, requires us to do two together. Excellent. Um, we're going to hear another piece. Yeah, this song is from our catalog. It's called The Lane.
All right, the Juju Exchange, uh, Julian Reed on piano. Introduce the rest of your gang. This is Nico Segal on trumpet. Lovely. Lane Beckstrom on bass, Everett Reed on drums. And that was the song entitled The Lane, which is off our record exchange, which you can get iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else. Uh, now, uh, is it true you guys were childhood friends and grew up together? Is that the deal? Yep. All I here. mean, other than your brother, who was uh, genetically sure. linked. <laughs> yes, for sure. We all grew up in Chicago together. Um, went, many of us went to the same high school, Whitney Young, and also we were all part of Merritt and Ravinia together. So there are various ways that we were influenced by the same musical institutions. So you just had to keep it going, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, congratulations. This is really tremendous. Thanks so much. I, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you. And uh, now tell us, Stephen Burns, uh, run us down again what people should do to get more information about uh, the Peace in Chicago and Intergenerational Celebration. So it's con- the concert is Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. at the Harris Theater. You can go to uh, Fulcrum Point dot org or harris theater chicago dot org and um get tickets there it'd be great to have you all there it's it's a it's a wonderful space we've got great lighting designers there's also going to be um you know hip-hop musicians luna day rick wilson and victor along with the burns twins and the chicago children's choir and uh, it'd be great to have everybody come out and kevin koval the poet is going to be there so kevin and and patricia frazier and jalen kobayashi wrote the text on which uh, the oratorio piece and uh, price of peace is based and so they'll be there as as well as uh, Keith Stein from the Young Chicago Authors, and C.M. Burroughs and Ed Roberson. So there's lots of beautiful, beautiful music and poetry going to be made. You have a huge collaborative gene in you. <laughs> <laughs> look, at the, look at all those people. You've got more people collaborating than anybody Well, than you know, this is, our, this is our, our 20th anniversary, and we are celebrating in, in, in great, 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 great enthusiasm, and I appreciate uh, being on your show and, and, and really connecting with these great musicians. As my son Eddie said on Vocalo uh, this morning at 820, he said, we learn from each other when you collaborate mm. with wonderful artists you, right you learn and, and, and really respect Stephen Burns is the artistic director the founder of Fulcrum Point New Music Project go see them Wednesday night at the Harris Theater and enjoy the huge collaboration you've brought together this is awesome thanks for having us uh, we're going to go out with something. Julian, what do we got here? Yeah, so we're going to play the top of our song, Morning Of, which is also on a record exchange. All right. Um, tomorrow on Worldview, you can hear us talking about how to save a constitutional democracy with scholars Tom Ginsburg and Aziz Haq. We'll also be uh, ta- discussing uh, Venezuela and the refugee crisis. Some doctors from Chicago have gone down there to assess the health care needs. So hopefully you can join us tomorrow for Worldview. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida. Thanks to Viviana Garcia Blanco for production assistance. Thanks to Mike Gilmore and thanks to Colin Ashmead Bobbitt for all his hard work here in the Jim and K Maybe Performance Studio. I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ. And now we turn things over to end the show to the Juju Exchange and Julian Reed. Thank you.